Welcome. Together, we're going to explore our personal finances and figure out how to improve them. Whether you're just getting started in life on your finances, or you may already have a home and a car payment, and you're struggling to get credit cards under control, or you're getting a later start in life on saving for retirement. ReducedDebtIncreasedWealth.com is a podcast to educate those to improve personal finances, whether it's eliminating debt or making smart investments. So let's now get started. Okay, this week I'm going to talk about budget. But I'm not going to talk about, in the in the past I've always talked about uh, setting up a budget based on what you've already been paying. So now I'm going to start focusing on how much you really should be paying. And we're going to start off with the housing, and then we're going to go automobiles, and then later on we're going to go to food and clothing. That's the four basics. Your budget should be based on 50% need. Needs would be such as housing, transportation, food, clothing, and whatever else falls into those categories. Uh, Then you want... 30% 30% once, which could be an expansion of the needs. If your housing goes over a little bit, you could claim that's part of your once. Or if you need a second car, fancier car or a more expensive car, then that could be part of your once. And then 20% for savings and paying down your line of credits and credit cards. But I would say 20% strictly to savings would be a good goal to onto so needless to say i do have a article on the housing remember i've been saying in the past my mother has always said your housing cost shouldn't be more than 25 percent of your of your income now income i've always stated in the past should be your net income which is your gross income is your the total amount you make before taxes and any other deductions. Net income would be your gross income, less taxes, and in my case, health insurance. And whatever is left over is your net, and it should your housing costs should be factored on that percentage, on that on that dollar amount, which could be substantially less than your gross. It could make a difference depending on your income tax brackets and how much you're making. I've always based it on my gross, but you could also be more conservative and base it off your net. And the goal here is to get you an idea of what you should be spending towards these categories. And if you keep within these parameters, then you shouldn't have any trouble paying off your debt and you shouldn't have any trouble uh, saving money, building up that emergency fund, re- saving for retirement. Because remember, retirement is the only item in life you can't borrow money to pay for. Let's get with the article now. This article is from www.fool.com, Million Acres, a Motley Fool Company. How much of my income should I spend on housing by Marie Beckman Contributor? Taken on 
too much house opens the door to a world of financial trouble. And here's where to draw the line. The decision to buy a home is huge, but many buyers make a major mistake in their excitement. They buy a property they can't actually afford. Taking on too much house is problematic in several regards. First, if you buy a home with a mortgage payment you can't keep up with, you risk falling dangerously behind to the point where you lose the property foreclosure. In a less extreme but almost equally troubling scenario, you might scrounge up enough money to pay your mortgage but fall behind on your remaining bills, racking up unhealthy debt and ruining your credit in the process. What's a better bet? Know how much of your income you can com comfortably afford to spend on housing and use that number to guide your buy-in decision. The 30% rule. As a general rule, your housing costs shouldn't exceed 30% of your take-home income. Now, there are several interpretations of the words housing cost. At a minimum, they should include your mortgage payment, including private mortgage insurance if you're liable for it, property taxes, and homeowner's insurance. If you bring home $4,000 a month, the most you can afford to spend on all those items combined is $1,200. Therefore, you need to research property taxes in the area you're looking to buy in and get some quotes on a homeowner's policy. You should also use an online mortgage calculator to see what mortgage you can afford based on your down payment and estimated taxes and insurance. Having that information on hand before you get too deep into your home search that will not only be useful, but could prevent you from making a major mistake. There's another school of thought on that 30% rule. Some financial experts feel that 30% threshold should, it, should include not only your mortgage payment, property taxes, and insurance, but also predictable maintenance. There's no easy way to determine what the upkeep will cost you, but mo most homeowners spend 1-4% to of their property values on maintenance every year. If you're looking at newer homes, you can veer towards the lower end of that range. If you're looking at older properties, stick to the higher end. If you're looking to buy a $200,000 home and expect to spend 3% of its value on maintenance, that's $6,000 a year or $500 a month. Going back to our example where your take-home pay is $4,000 a month, that would mean you need to subtract $500 from your $1,200 monthly limit, leaving you with a more limited budget for buying a home. To be clear, the first interpretation of housing costs is more common than the second. But if you're able to keep your housing costs, including projected maintenance, to 30% of your income or less, you'll get yourself more financial wriggle room. You don't want to be house poor. By spending more than 30% of the income on housing, you're just falling behind on costs related to the home or on other essential bills. But even if you can't, in theory, spend 40% or 50% of your earnings on housing and still keep up with your bills, think about what that will do to your lifestyle. Chances are you'll have to give up luxuries you come to enjoy, like dining out, entertainment, and traveling. And there's a good chance that spending that much on housing will cause you to fall behind on other goals like saving for retirement or establish a college fund for your kids. The takeaway? Don't let your housing costs eat up too much of your income. If you can stick to that 30% threshold or lower, there's a good chance you'll manage to pay your loan without having to stress about other bills or give up things that make you happy. Okay, this article says 30% of your net income. 
this be clear here, they're talking about your mortgage payment plus your real estate taxes that you owe plus your homeowner's insurance. Those three things need to be included in that 30%. As far as maintenance, you can do that as you go. Maybe you can get by without including it. Now, you should know what you're getting in for if you buy an older home. Say a home that's 60 or 70 or 80 years old may take a lot more maintenance than a brand new home. Again, you're going to be paying the difference in the price. A new homeowner, first-time homeowner, you may have to include things like buying a lawnmower and yard tools plus maybe vacuum cleaners and stuff. Those are one-time costs. You maybe replace them every five or ten years, washer and dryer, refrigerator, stove. Stuff like that, you need to factor that in more or less your purchase price. If you're buying a house and you're thinking about putting a big down payment, if you need to put a, a refrigerator, a stove, other stuff, don't use all your money on the down payment. Save some of your money, make a little bit smaller down payment so you have the money to buy these things that are going to be coming up in the near future after you close on your house. That's some words of wisdom. As far as maintenance, other than painting the house, fixing gutters, uh, light bulbs, I really don't have a whole lot of maintenance costs on the time, you know, day-to-day basis, month-to-month basis. Using a percentage of your income to apply to maintenance or 3% of the cost of your home for maintenance is just an arbitrary number. You probably won't ever use anything close to that. And you'll pay for it as you go because it'll be just small little things as you go, you know, week to week, month to month. You know, you can kind of put a $100 amount in your budget for maintenance and you might get by on that if you maybe a little older home where you might have some other problems. Definitely not going to factor in the cost of a new roof because a new roof is going to cost you anywhere from five to depending on the size of the roof and where you live. That's a major improvement, and you most likely would have to borrow money. So if you're buying a house that may need a new roof in the next 5 to 10 years, you may want to make sure the value of the house is going up so you have some equity, so you can have an equity line of credit to pay for a new roof. That's just some thoughts I have with that going forward. And now we're going to talk a little bit about your transportation. Transportation costs would be the your car payment, your car insurance, your maintenance, your gasoline, everything you pay or put into that car, for that car. It also can include, if you live in a big city, your public transit costs, such as a, a, a monthly pass to ride a bus or the subway, or taxi cabs, and stuff like that. That all should be your transportation cost. And I have an article that talks about all these things, so we're going to do that next, and then we'll make comments after that. This article is from the nerdwallet.com. What car payment can you afford? How to budget for your ride by Philip Reed. It's smart to spend less than 10% of your monthly take-home pay but there's some flexibility with this budgeting approach. 
Before you hit the dealership, you should take a moment to decide what monthly car payment you can afford. To cut to the chase, it's smart to spend less than 10% of your monthly take-home pay on your car payment so you can keep the total costs below 15 to 20% of your income. To cut to the chase, it's smart to spend less than 10% of your monthly take-home pay on your car payment so you can keep your total car cost below 15 to 20% of your income. That might leave you feeling you can afford only a beat-up Yugo. But there's an interesting covenant to this rule of thumb. It's called the balanced budget approach. Here how it works. Balance your budget, your life, and your car payment. NerdWallet recommends using a 50-30-20 rule, dividing your take-home pay into three general spending categories. 50% for needs such as housing, food, and transportation which in this case, your monthly car payment and related auto expenses, more than that below. 30% for once, such as entertainment, travel, and other non-essential items. 20% for savings, paying off credit cards and meeting long-range financial goals. The monthly payment for your auto loan definitely falls into the needs category. For many people, a car is a lifeline connected them to essential tasks such as holding down a job or transporting the kids to school. However, there's some flexibility in the balanced budget approach. If you want a more expensive car, you could consider part of your monthly payment as spending on the once category, so as long as you keep the balanced budget overall. So while 10% of your take-home pay for your car payment may sound restrictive, if you economize in other budget areas, you could choose to spend more on your car. Your payment isn't your only car expense. Don't forget that on top of your car payment, there are extra auto-related expenses. This includes insurance, gas repairs and maintenance, parking, and even tolls. Many financial experts recommend keeping total car costs below 15 to 20% of your take-home pay. So while your car payment is 10% of your take-home pay, you should plan on spending another 5% on car expenses. For example, your monthly paycheck is $3,000. Your car payment would be about $300. You'll plan on spending another $150 on automotive expenses. Avoid a costly car payment mistake. Once you determine the monthly car payment you can afford, consider what goes under the hood when the lender calculates your payment. Factors include the loan amount, the annual percentage rate or APR that includes the interest rate, the length of the loan. You could waste a lot of money by focusing only on the monthly payment and ignoring your total financing costs. For example, take a look at how two vastly different loans can result in the same car payment. Monthly payment $372 for both loans. Loan amount, first one, $12,500. 4.5% APR, 36 months, total interest, $886. Second loan, 18,000, 8.8% interest, 60 months, total interest, $4,315. Also keep in mind that the interest rate on your auto loan would depend on your credit score and other factors. Lower credit scores generally result in higher rates. It's smart to compare offers to find the most competitive rate on your auto loan, but it's especially important if you have bad credit. 
Additionally, while many people take out a longer loan to get a more affordable car payment, they often end up paying considerably more in interest over the life of the loan. NerdWallet recommends loans of no more than 36 months for used cars and 60 months for new cars. Get what you want, but stay balanced. Now that you know the car payment you can afford and how it fits into your budget, you're better equipped to negotiate a good deal. While most financial experts recommend economizing on auto expense if upgrading your ride is important to do, and while most financial experts recommend economizing on auto expenses, if upgrading your ride is important for, to you, go for it as long as the total budget remains balanced. Okay, the article talked about 10% of your take-home pay or your net pay for your auto loan payment. Another 5% for auto cost, such as insurance, gasoline, maintenance, and they also include parking, tolls, etc. That would include all your cars. So if you have two cars, that would be both of them combined. Got to keep that in, uh, in perspective, especially if you're a married couple with children and you're working on one income. So as I stated in earlier episodes, you have a beater car to go back and forth to work, and then you have a nice car that your wife drives that you use for family outings and travel and going places. Uh, that could add up in a hurry. Now, these are all suggested percentages, and it's in order to keep your budget under control. Your, uh, this article also talked about the 50, 30, 20% rule. And that's, that's budgeting rules. 50% for needs, 30% for wants, and 20% for uh, savings and long-term goals. And they also included credit card payments. If you keep everything under control to start, when you're starting out in life, when you're getting started, and you, you keep close to these percentages, you should keep your credit cards under control unless you just go wildly spending money that you don't have. If you spend it today, you got to pay for it tomorrow. Some point in time, it's going to catch up to you. So that's why it's important not to go out of control with credit cards. Now, I know that COVID-19 has been going on. I hasn't talked about it a whole lot. If you're still lucky like I am and you're an essential person and you hasn't, you know, lost your job, you're still working, good for you. Keep it up. You're on the right track. Uh, you should keep your goals in mind. Shut down for six or eight weeks. You're getting a little bit behind. That's the importance of having an emergency fund. If you had an emergency fund for a month, month and a half worth of your expenses, you would come close to not using it all up. What if you did get unemployment, you would probably still be okay. You'd be able to pay your bills and and eat and not be too financially hard off. I know most of us don't have an emergency fund. I, I do now, but uh, I went through most of my life without one. It's very important. 
that's the importance of the emergency fund. And remember my strategy on paying off debt is you pay the minimum amount on all your credit cards. You pay the minimum amount of all your loans. You have those three accounts, a savings, a checking, and a retirement. The three necessary accounts for financial security. You have a one month, two months worth of savings for an emergency. Not only to pay if like your car breaks down, but in case you get laid off. Now that we've all been through that, we know what to expect and why it's important to have an emergency fund. So I'm not going to harp on that too much. Next week, we're going to do the other budget concerns, food and clothing and whatever else I can think of to throw in at what percentage. The idea of using these percentages, especially when you're just getting started, uh, before you buy that first home, it's important to stay within those ranges and you could go a little bit over and then if you get pay raises, you get in the range and then you get a pay raise, you it's comfortable and you can increase your savings. So that's the importance of doing all that. If you're a person that already has a mortgage, uh, buying a home, have maybe two cars, married, have a couple children, you got to look at if you're outside of these ranges, uh, your refinancing options. If you could refinance your mortgage, say the same amount of time, say so you got a 30-year mortgage, you've been in the house for about five or six years. So if you can refinance and get a 25-year mortgage, a little bit lower interest rate, and get your payment down, and if you can get that payment down that puts you in your range, that would be a good thing to do. You got there one way or another. Whether you both were working when you got bought the home, and when you had children, you figured out that child care costs cost too much, so the wife stays at home, or even working part-time, so your income's down a little bit, that could throw you outside of that 30% range, even though you might have been in it when you bought the house to start with. Life goes on. With that said, if you could refinance to get you closer to your range, I would do it. Now, I wouldn't add, don't borrow any more money because if your goal is to get out of debt, if you add more time and borrow more money, how's that getting you out of debt? It's not. I know you got the pesky credit cards. Maybe if you got a bunch of high interest rate, you could pay some of that off. Okay, well, all right. You could do that. I tried to refrain from doing that. I've done it takes you forever to pay off the house when you keep refinancing and adding to it. You know, you got to get equity in that house so you can have a line of credit. So if you do need a new roof, you got a line of credit you can pay for it. Still be within your budget range. A lot of people have trouble with this, staying within the range. It, it is a, a challenge. It's a, a work in progress. So you got to always look at your spending. You got to keep track of what you're doing. That's why when I started this uh, podcast, I didn't focus on these percentages, how much you should spend for housing, how much you should spend for your car, you know, 30% for housing, 10% for a car payment, 5% for maintenance on the, on the automobile. I didn't focus on that because that's not important. The most important thing is keeping track of your finances, keeping track of your money, money in, money out. 
the more that goes out, worse off you're going to be. Then you start using credit cards. Well, at even at a 15 or 17% interest rate, that's pretty hefty. So it gets expensive in a hurry. So you want to avoid doing that. Pay the minimum on your credit cards. I cannot stress that enough. Put money aside in your savings. Build up an emergency fund. Have small amount, large amount. It's up to you. Build up some more. Make a big lump sum payment on a credit card, whether it's the one with the lowest balance due or the one with the highest interest rate. It's up to you. Maybe pay off the smallest balance one first so you get you get that done. Then start concentrating on the higher rates and go from there. So next week we're going to cover, like I said before, food, entertainment, clothing, cost, what that percent of your budget that should be. That's the end of another episode. I hope you found it useful. And if you'd like to share this episode with your friends, please do so. I'm open for any suggestions for improvement or for information that you would like to talk about in future episodes. You can go to my Facebook page and leave me a message. I'm more than glad to comply. To find my Facebook page, go to ReducedDebtIncreasedWealth.com and click on the Facebook icon to go to my 